Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 140, recorded on Tuesday, January the 12th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. And today we'll talk about how you can succeed with your Microsoft Intune or general MDM project. We will talk about new Windows Insider builds as well as news in Microsoft Intune. Then we'll head into the data part and talk about quick ways to create reports in the Power BI service as well as read and write XML, XMLA endpoints that just went to general availability. And we also have some shorter news on Microsoft Authenticator getting new features and then we'll talk about upcoming events. All right then. So it is 2021 and we've we've had a sit down and we did some thinking and everybody knows that's not necessarily a good thing but we did it anyway. So sue us. It's so, a fun thing. It is a fun thing and especially for people looking on. We have decided to kind of switch things around a bit. We're going to do longer episodes between 35 and, and 45 minutes, but we're going to do them every other week. Uh, this added to this, I should say, we're going to be focusing even more on the enterprise stuff and we want to bring something to you, the listeners, that we did not have previously. So you're, you're going to find out what that is going forward. And uh, we have another thing in... Uh, in the works, which we will explain and show you all when we uh, uh, turn that loose on the world. That's going to be in, in a couple of weeks. But for now, sit back and enjoy the new, what's known as the focus segment. And today, Simon is the, the guy. So Simon, take it away. Thank you very much. And today, we are going to talk about how you can drive a successful Microsoft Intune project or in general, any kind of MDM project. And MDM stands for Mobile Device Management. So it's about configuring, securing and managing mobile devices such as iPads, Android devices, and to some extent, even Microsoft and uh, Mac OS devices. But today we'll focus on the phones and the tablets. And the background of this is that many organizations have implemented an MDM. I for sure use an MDM on all my phones. Uh, what about you? Yeah, we we do use MDM at work, at least. Uh, at home, no, not for me. I was just about to say the same thing. I, I, I have honestly not thought about having an MDM uh, at home. Then again, I don't have a private phone, so that might be the reason. Yeah, and... and, uh, and I may be a slight Intune geek. I don't think it's necessary to have an MDM on your personal phone, but it adds some value, I can assure you. But I have had that question a couple of times. Should I set up my own instance? You heard it here first. Simon, don't think you need your own MDM. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, and also, uh, like you know from previous uh, things we've discussed, we also uh, also use uh, two different ones. So we have the Intune one for Windows, and we use uh, YAMF for Mac. Yeah. And as your organizations, many other organizations have also implemented MDM solutions of various kinds. 
Uh, but there's still a large group that haven't, and we'll get into why, I, or at least why I believe they haven't so far later on. And there are also a large number of organizations that have implemented an MDM, but in my opinion, in the wrong way, or where their users aren't particularly happy with having their phones managed. And to me, a phone you're given by your employer, and this is one of the things we'll dive deeper into in, in a few minutes, is something that should be secure and protected, since it will hold sensitive data at some point. We, we store and keep and manage and edit more sensitive data on our mobile devices than ever before. So it's an important topic, and it really is a hit or miss in terms of user satisfaction. But it's also important from another aspect that if you're successful with your MDM project, that will lay a very strong foundation for your other security measures that you will implement later on. And also, I, I think there's a saying that leave no stone unturned. And uh, that's something I warn my customers for when we start a new MDM project, because starting an MDM project will for sure turn a lot of stones that organizations haven't wanted to turn previously or didn't know existed. So why do we see so many failed projects? And, and when I mean failed, it, it may well have reached its goals. It may have deployed an MDM or Microsoft Intune to X amount of devices within an enterprise or an organization for the matter. But I find that we are usually left or even going into a project have a couple of challenges. And the first one is distrust, which is something I've found with many of our customers uh, when I come to them and, and talk about MDM and even EDR and other security measures that there's a distrust between the users and the IT organization. Is that something you have experienced? Funny you should say that. I mean, we've all... We, we all came up at Atea, and Atea is a pretty big place. Now, I'm at a pretty small place. I mean, we're 33. So the distrust is, well, it's kind of hard to just distrust the, the guy that sits next to you. It can be done, but it's harder. But in a larger organization, I, I can definitely see that being an issue. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's the first thing. And the other very personal thing is that we often see the devices and, and I, this could be a nordic thing or a U european thing or a european and u.s aspect even though the u.s have different slight different ways of managing and purchasing devices but many people i speak to especially in sweden do consider their work phone a personal asset and a very much personal to the extent that Yes, I'm given this phone by my employer, but I don't want them to have any insight in what I do with it. And, and that's for another time. We, we can definitely talk about that aspect later on. But those two things, so the distrust and the personal devices, is one of the first challenges. The second thing is that when we start to secure the mobile phones, we need to adopt our workflow and adopt our apps to suit the environment. As an example, if the apps you're currently using don't integrate well with Teams or OneDrive or, at best, Azure AD, they may be harder to protect. Or if they aren't securable by app protection policies within Intune, as an example. 
And that may also lead to you and the organization needing to change some workflows. And I don't say that MDM should set all the rules, but I think it's a compromise somewhere that, yeah, we can do some things with an MDM. We may not be able to protect it all, but some things definitely need to change. And then the third thing, and this is, I believe, where most organizations could have done a much, much better job. So so in your opinion, why do organizations implement an MDM? What's the benefit for you? I'm not sure that I'm even in the equation. Yeah, and who is this fictional you are talking about? Is it the IT department or the end user? Yeah, very good question. So you as in the users of the mobile devices. What's in it for you to get an MDM? Security. And that's, well, that's 50-50 me and the company. But apart from that, well, maybe easier applications? Yeah, I'm thinking that too. You know, the company apps in the portal, for example. So I suppose that would be a, a good plus extra value. And And with those answers, I would say that you are more knowledgeable than most people I meet because most organizations I've worked with when I come to them and say yeah they want to implement an MDM they only talk about the security and compliance aspects of it do keep in mind that we've had you around for years <laughs> so we had no choice but to learn these things yeah, yeah and that's the thing it it, it takes a while <laughs> but I also believe that we could talk so much more about the value add for everyone and the why in a better way so first what's in it for you and also stop looking at it from the perspective of if you don't implement an mdm you are super insecure and you will be the one who gets our company hacked that the way of scaring users into compliance isn't really a good way to do it so those were the challenges and, and how do I usually overcome them and how would I recommend that you that are listening to this podcast would go about to drive a successful MDM project or we'll get into the specifics with Intune later on. And the first thing, and I, I think this goes for most of the things in the world today, is communication. <laughs> uh, so if you take the time to before you start a project to really listen and understand how your organization are using their mobile devices. That gives you two things. First, you will be better prepared to change those workflows and change those apps uh, and be prepared for how to drive the technical aspect of the projects, to have that dialogue, learn about your organization. And while you do that, also talk to your users and explain what you're able to do with your MDM and what you're not able to do with your MDM and how you as an IT organization will do your absolute best to make the devices usable, but also protect the personal integrity if your users are allowed to use their phone for private purposes as well. So communication to create that trust uh, and also keep that conversation going during the project and after the project to remain agile and really be able to continue to work with that MDM tool and add new features, add new security features, and also bring more value to your users. 
and remember to listen as well. It's not just about communicating. It's also about listening. So that's a definite success factor, um, which have changed the perception of IT organizations as a whole at many of the customers I've been working with. The second success factor is to start at close to more secure than you're required to be. It's much, much simpler to be more secure and try then to compromise with your organization to get the highest possible level. But also be very aware that if you start high and you're prepared to move down, know your lowest level of security that you are able to adopt and are required to adopt to remain compliant. But start high and lower it. In most cases, I've seen that organizations are much more adaptable and that the higher security configurations actually work fairly well, even though many organizations won't believe that from the start. The third aspect, and this is something I would love to know your view on when you have implemented different solutions, is the confidence and the quality. So ensure that you are confident moving into this project, that you know what you're about to deliver and how you should deliver it, and that is delivered with the quality that you want it to be delivered in. Because what could happen otherwise is that people in your project team start to talk and start to say, no, it's not going very well. Uh, it's uh, We don't feel confident in that this solution will work. And that spreads like a fire. And um, Claudio Torres, one of my connections on LinkedIn, actually referenced to that exact challenge um, in a LinkedIn discussion I had with him in terms of the value of having a support organization that are confident in your technical implementations. So is that something you have experienced that a project isn't going too well and then your peers and the support organization, the IT organization, start to unintentionally in most cases show that insecurity in the solution and how have you felt that that have impacted the organization? Have you experienced that? I have. And it's funny you should say this because the, the more I listen to you, the, the more it is obvious that this is... Well, partly, partly a technical conversation for sure, but it's yeah. most about people and getting people on board and making them stay on board. And absolutely key. The confidence is absolute key. Really, really interesting point. The fourth success factor is to find that why for the users. And, and for an MDM, I think that can be different in different kinds of organizations. But... What I tend to see today is that we can actually increase the integrity for the users by using the different platforms functionality to separate work from private life on the same device. And that we, by implementing an MDM with the security measures from an administrative point of view, also can ensure that an admin shouldn't be able to look at the apps that are installed in all cases or use all the features of the MDM. So increased integrity, uh, a better onboarding experience in most cases, like you mentioned, apps rolls out, Wi-Fi certificates, Wi-Fi configurations, VPNs, whatnot, is already there when the user gets the device. And that can also be that to change device or to reset a device becomes much simpler 
And, and third, I don't think we should underestimate the value of security. And uh, this is something I will talk about on LinkedIn in a few days as well, that I'm so sick and tired of hearing people saying that users don't want security. They want to have fun. That's a quote from um, uh, Folk and Försvar uh, in, from Swedish Defense. That's the Swedish Defense Group today. And that, that makes me absolutely sick and tired. I haven't met a single user who don't care about security. They all do. They just don't want to be hindered by security. And the uh, fifth success factor, and they, there may be many more, but the fifth I've seen is that all of this is also applicable to any project and any technology platform. All of these success factors can be implemented prior to an MDM project. If you know that in your roadmap you first have a rollout of a new application, then apply all of these success factors to that project and prepare for the MDM project, which may have a bigger user impact than your first project. Then there are some specific success factors for Intune. And this goes for mostly technical point of view. In my opinion, you should always use what's called app protection policies. So the ability to containerize, sort of at least, applications so that sensitive data or company data in general don't leak out of them, that you remain in control of them. And the reason for that is, of course, that if you can ensure that your data is safe within those apps, then you don't need to have that full insight on the private side of a specific device. But always combine that with device policies as well, ensuring that it is encrypted and so on. For Android especially, we have something in Intune called corporate-owned device with work profile, or more known as Copy. And it's it's becoming very popular in general on Android. It's still in preview on in Intune. And it's a great way of combining the best of device policies together with work profile that fully allows you to separate work from your private use of the phone with separate apps and so on. And even the ability to when you finish your job, turn on the entire work, turn off the entire work profile and don't get notifications from that. But for Intune, look at it, try to implement it, but be aware that there are still some bugs and limitations. But otherwise, it's likely the best way of managing a mixed-use device currently. And lastly, choose your hardware. And it may not be as simple as Android or iOS. Uh, and, and I will add some links to a couple of blog posts talking about hardware and the selection of hardware for your MDM project later on. But it's more about knowing what other capabilities do you require from your mobile devices and your MDM providers that only certain hardware vendors may be able to add to it? As an example, I have a customer currently that wouldn't have been able to succeed with their MDM project if they hadn't run Samsung devices, since Samsung's own framework for management, Samsung Knox, provides them with the functionality they currently really, really need. So summarizing that, Every single organization should have an MDM of some sort. I happen to prefer Intune, 
but there are tons of other MDMs with various capabilities, but you should have something. Have that communication set up from the start, build trust, build confidence, and don't be afraid of integrating your users in the process. And third, do remember exactly what Alexander said, that an MDM project is both technical, but in my opinion, and an experience as well, more focused on the user and the human interaction than technology. Do you have any questions, Alexander and Tony, on the topic? I do. And I've been thinking about one thing that you said pretty early. How common do you think that people get handed a phone and instantly turn around and say, yeah, thanks for the phone, but you can't, you can't track me or, or I don't want you to control anything. Is that a Nordic thing or is it a Swedish thing? How does the rest of the world behave? Do they have dual phones? Is the whole idea of using a work-provided uh, phone for private things anathema? How, what, what's your experience there? I believe that it's a very Nordic thing primarily i have seen it in in the netherlands or other countries similar to the nordics in terms of how mature they are from a digitalization point of view mostly in terms of how early did people get company phones so we have run into the the situation where i i believe that you that are slightly older than i am were given company phones quite early in your careers. And for many other countries, that wasn't the case. So when we in Sweden, and I can only speak for Sweden, got our company phones, possibly even in the 90s, we often were able to use them for private purposes as well. But we didn't have MDM at that point. So we're used to using our devices for, per, for personal use. And we haven't really understood how much sensitive data we now have on them. But I would say it's more of a Nordic or Northern European thing. In many other countries, it's, it's much more common to have two phones. Or, as it's very common in the States, you have a personal phone that you use for work. So you have a real bring-your-own-device policy. And that's where it gets more complicated because then it's not your phone, but you need to use it for work. So it's a Northern European thing, I would assume, based on the discussions I've had. But it's also very much about how we, in general, look at the gadgets that we are, in air quotes, given by our employer. Is that something you might um, whip up a few of your friends from around the world and, and have a, a kind of a roundtable discussion or an interview discussion about? That would be great fun. Good idea. And um, if you want to know more about the topic, I highly recommend you to tune into. Now we'll get into quite interesting vocabularies here tune in tune in tune into in tune training <laughs> on <laughs> i think we have the name for this episode <laughs> i think only the name of this podcast won't fit in the tweet so uh in tune training at youtube is hosted by stephen hosking 
who he worked for Microsoft and is an ex-MVP. Adam Gross, current MVP. Ben Reeder, current MVP. And Jake Shackleford. And they run a YouTube channel on Intune training in general, which now is up to 14,000 followers, if I'm not mistaken. I think they are up to like 60 high quality long episodes on every aspect of Intune. And um, you can also read more on my blog posts, both on the Needy Pin Tech blog, but also on my employer's blog on which platform is most secure, which is also a very interesting topic in itself. That was a good one. And that was the first of the focus segments. And we're going to be taking turns to do focus turn, uh, focus turns, focus segments on every uh, uh, podcast episode. So next time it'll be my turn and then it is the Finn. And hopefully he will not be talking about the black death metal thing, but we'll see. We'll leave that. <laughs> I can't make any promises. There we go. Let's dive into the news. So, Simon, what do you have for us on the news front? So let's start with the latest Windows 10 Insider preview, which is or were released on January 6th, and it's build number 21286. And uh, they are kind of moving back into the entire aspect of the start screen and the information on the different tiles that you have in your start screen currently, where they are moving things like interests and weather to the taskbar. So you will be able to have a small widget in your taskbar showing you the weather as well as when you click on it, you will be getting news and other interests from the taskbar. Right. So what you're saying is Windows Vista is making a comeback. <laughs> and would that be such a bad thing? Don't answer that. Uh, <laughs> but this has nothing to do with the rumors that we've heard about the rather sweeping changes to the UI that are supposedly coming later or no not yet not okay. yet right not yet uh, but this is also something that you will be able to tailor and then move between your PC and your phone somehow according to the blog post and uh, I think this is mostly a consumer feature but it would be interesting to see how this can be adopted with adaptive cards and such so that you could possibly integrate your own organizational data within that taskbar widget that would be quite cool we also have a change to the settings app where we finally but but i would admit that it's i will miss the old tool storage settings will be moving into the settings app so instead of going to Disk Manager, we'll be getting into the Settings app to manage storage, create storage pools, and so on. No! Yeah, I agree with Alex. I already don't like the Settings app as is, as is so I don't <laughs> like to see more features added to it. What? I love it. It's great. It's very flexible. Yeah, you're so optimistic. I am. And on that topic, we also get new command line. So they're actually handing something to the command line we're getting new command line tools for disk usage and this is something i really like you are able to have startup commands in windows subsystem for linux that is to me a big and positive change so that it can load your tools and such when you start subsystem for linux just as you can with powershell profiles 
And speaking of that, the, the subsystem for Linux, uh, I have actually got it running now after promising myself for months pretty much to <laughs> do some little trials on it. So I have actually got uh, Kali Linux running uh, on, uh, as a subsystem for uh, Linux. Oh, you're a hacker now. Yeah, yeah, with the GUI even. So, nice. Uh, so that's cool. Oh, the only thing that I haven't got uh, actually running in it is uh, networking. So I'm, I'm really secure with that installation. <laughs> <laughs> so you're running Kali Linux without network connectivity. That yeah. sounds quite useless. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I have to see when I have the chance to troubleshoot that. But yeah, net, networking issues. But it's looking good otherwise. Cool. So that's for the latest preview. And, and have in mind that some rumors have said that Microsoft will only release only to release one new Windows version next year. So not the two ones that they have been used to, so they're changing it again for the purpose of Windows 10X, probably. So the one that they will run on Surface Neo. Um, adding to that, other news in terms of device management, and some of these may be old, but we now have a progress bar for downloading and installing apps from the company portal, which is something I really have looked forward to so previously when you installed uh, an application on windows through the company portal you have no clue how far that download had come or how long time it was left until it was finished now we get a progress bar which will greatly increase the success rate i would hope for installation of apps and lastly and this is actually a month old now in December, newly apps or new apps were added to the list of protected apps, which I talked about previously in the focus segment, so the app protection policies. So we are now able to protect Dynamics 365 Remote Assist, uh, Box, Mobile ID, STID Mobile ID in particular, Fact Set, Notate for Intune, and Field Services for Dynamics 365. So they are now able to be protected with Intune on an app level which enables us to create that containerization and very flexible containerization of apps, ensuring that our organization's data don't leak to the actual phone or to other apps. Nice. Yeah. So what's new in Power BI and data? Like, we haven't spoken about Power BI for two months or so now. So well, we I, have. I, do remember that we had uh, some of the... Uh, the December stuff um, actually contained uh, some some Power BI stuff, so there there has been yeah. Power BI, yeah. Yep. But the uh, there there are two main things that have come out since then. One is that it is possible to quickly create reports in the Power BI service, and this is this is preview, but it's it's an, an interesting thing because you can create a report in the service without using Power BI Desktop, but as it stands, it is slightly clunky, I should say. It's it's not my preferred way or the preferred way to make a report. You do it in the Power BI desktop and then you upload it into the service for consumption. But what has changed is that it is now possible to create a report very, very quickly, basically on the fly, because you can paste data straight into Power BI. And I'm terribly sorry to say that there is a guy with a snowplow outside my window. 
I was just thinking, what is that sound? At first, it's my printer. No, he he wants to be on on knee deep in tech, knee deep in snow, knee deep in snow. Well, we we were knee deep in snow uh, earlier today. We are going to be knee deep in ice because the rain that has fallen is going to freeze. But that's an aside. So you can paste in data and straight into Power BI on the web, and you're gonna have visuals automatically generated for you. So at the moment, that's either you can paste in or manually enter data or connect to a published data set. But as they go along, they're going to be adding stuff like um, Excel and, and such. And this is just another tool in the toolbox when it comes to quickly prototyping stuff. This is fantastic to give to a, a user and just go, well, sure, whip up whatever you want. And if you find that this is interesting, you want to work with it, call me and we will come back and, and do a proper report. Or if whatever you whipped up is good enough, stay with it. So this is taking the self-service BI one step further. Super, super cool. So, so it's really democratizing Power BI again because it lowers the threshold on how quickly you can get going. Exactly. So th th this is kind of what happens if you uh, leave Excel and Power BI overnight and uh, in a dark room, and then you add some web to it. And then came the XMLA endpoint that you found difficult to um, <laughs> to say, and and I totally get that. And this actually came out on January the fifth, uh, just a few days ago. And this is the general availability. This has been in preview for some time, but now it's generally available to read and write the XMLA endpoint. And the reading of the XMLA endpoint that came out, oh, I can't remember, was it a year ago? That was a huge thing. The thing with the XMLA endpoint is that you can suddenly view Power BI as if it was an analysis services um, environment. You can read the data to a third-party uh, tool. That is super, super useful for doing, well, your own reporting or moving data from Power BI to something else. But being able to write, holy cow, now you can do things. Because suddenly you can put stuff in with the command shells, uh, command shells, PowerShell commandlets, what I was trying to say. So you can automate data management like a refresh and that kind of stuff. You can tack on the DevOps pipelines you can connect to Power BI using the tabular editor or DAX Studio or Excel pivot tables or any, any other third party that speaks uh, to the XMLA endpoint. And the XMLA endpoint, as it stands, it's old technology. It came with um, analysis services many, many years ago, but now it is available for Power BI. Now, this is a premium only feature, but do keep in mind that Power BI premium per user is currently in preview and it is going to be released i hope some some uh, time the first half of, of 2021 and that is well sort of changing everything because the things you can do with the xml endpoint wow it really takes um, governance and manageability manageability that's a hard word <laughs> to the next level and yeah we were just seeing uh, the start of what what we can do with this uh, specific uh, toolset. So I'm I'm super curious to see what happens going forward. Great. And the last short news item before we head into what's coming in the future 
is something I wonder if, especially Tolia, have had time to look into, and that's the password management within Microsoft Authenticator. Sadly, I have not had a chance to actually look at that feature yet. I only read about it earlier today, uh, like very briefly. So I wasn't actually sure that I would even have that talking point here today. (laughs) Uh, But I will try to catch up on that uh, for next time. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'm happy to talk about it. And and you can try it and give us a review uh, in upcoming episodes. But we are now able to store and autofill passwords using Microsoft Authenticator on both iOS and Android. And there's also the ability to sync to Microsoft Edge as well as Google Chrome. Challenge is that it's only available for Microsoft accounts. So it's not only autofilling for Microsoft accounts, but it's only synchronizing using consumer accounts. It's even disabled for enterprise users, and I'm quoting now, who are using Authenticator app for phone sign-in or multi-factor authentication on their enterprise accounts. So currently it's very much a consumer feature as I see it, but I think it also shows where we're heading with Authenticator, and I would personally love if we could get a decent password manager within Authenticator. Sure, I I can agree. That's a pretty interesting step because there, there, I, I think there is a fine line between usability and finding your niche. I mean, there, there are a lot of password managers that are excellent, but having them integrate with Azure AD and that kind of stuff, that would be kind of big, but you need to be able to use it for more than just your, your very specific Microsoft accounts, in my view. That was the news. And uh, the world may have ended uh, back in March of 2020, but the events did not end. In fact, they became more. And what's even more interesting is that on January the 15th, I will be going virtually to Vienna to SQL Saturday Vienna. And this this is kind of profound for me because the first, the very first uh, international speaking engagement that I had was SQL Saturday Vienna. I did a lightning talk there a couple of years back and that, that was, that was cool. That was different. And this will be the last SQL Saturday under the pass umbrella because PASS, the Professional Association for Secret Server, will be folding, will be ceasing to exist on January the 15th. So this will be, well, SQL Saturday Vienna was my first, and SQL Saturday Vienna will be my last SQL Saturday. That's kind of kind of interesting and, and uh, kind of bittersweet. And I am also going to Nordic Developer Conference, or NDC, the London version, which, again, is going to be online. That's going to be January 27th to 29th. And I will be delivering the Untruthful Art, which just the other day was upgraded with even more horrible uh, COVID data visualizations from the UK. So we'll see if I'll ever be allowed back to the UK after this one. (laughs) Are, do you need a visa to get into the UK virtually nowadays? I, I don't know if Brexit actually applies to uh, to virtual travel. Ask me again afterwards and we'll see. Let me just tell you that my wife 
just prior to New Year's decided to order two things from the UK and we pay customs now. I can assure you. When was it uh, sent from the UK? After the 31st. <laughs> they did. Yes. Uh, and sorry, we're not supposed to talk about un enterprise things, but my four-year-old daughter have successfully learned how to use the sad trombone sound. Well, that is pretty enterprise. Yeah. Um, for myself, uh, I, I'm i actually arranging two UC groups uh, the coming weeks. So first off is the Swedish Windows Virtual Desktop user group, where we will have newly awarded or MVP awarded Patrick Köhler to talk about MSIX AppAttach, as well as uh, Mr. T-Bone or Torbjörn Granhede, who will talk about uh, how one of their customers replaced VPN with WVD. So Patrick will speak in English and Torbjörn will speak in Swedish. So if you're interested in learning more about MSIX Appetach and prefer to listen in English, please tune into that on the 20th of January. And then we have East Sweden Microsoft User Group, where Alexander is also one of the organizers on the 26th of January, where we will have Stefan Ivemo, who will talk about Azure Firewall. And I've been promised some quite interesting things dependent on a certain big software vendor's release schedule. And we'll also have my colleagues Hassan Al-Shakarti and uh, Fabio Vigiani from TrueSec talking about solar winds and sunburst. And both of these sessions will be in Swedish, primarily at least. Nice. I, I, For some reason, it has slipped my mind that I am hosting the Swedish Power BI user group, um, which is kind of uh, miserable that I've didn't put that in here. So we are going to do uh, the first uh, meetup of the year. Uh, it's going to be on January the 14th. So this Thursday, we are going to have a discussion about Power BI Premium. We decided to switch things around a bit. So every other meetup is going to be a full length, length session. And every other meetup is going to be a 30 minute session followed by a 30 minute discussion. So this is going to be the first, uh, that kind of discussion thing. So really looking forward to, to those discussions. Interesting. So what's going on at work? Well, I am kind of expecting the, um, the Heinz effect. I have a lot of feelers out and we, I, I was talking to a lot of potential customers before the, um, the Christmas break. And I'm kind of expecting everybody to call me and go, yeah, uh, let's do what you said we should do. And suddenly I won't have any time to do anything anymore. Yep, I'm pretty much uh, dreading the same thing. Uh, maybe not after the Christmas uh, leave uh, especially, but once the COVID thing begins to pull back, that's when I'm expecting a huge Heinz effect. So pretty much all the projects from last year will get a move on and most likely at the same time with the tight deadlines and things like that. So I'm mentally trying to prepare to work like 48 hours a day. Only you, Tony, only you. <laughs> and uh, since I prefer a different kind of ketchup, uh, I uh, don't have the Heinz effect uh, and, and not the Felix effect neither. Uh, but uh, I'm waiting for a couple of very interesting public tenders that we have replied to and hopefully will win. Uh, which will also go hand in hand with something I haven't yet announced. So stay tuned for that. 
I'm also working quite a lot with a number of customers as well as some business development around data compliance and Microsoft 365 security. So it's a lot of preparation for what's to come under 2021. There we go. So we've pretty much come to the end of uh, the longest episode I think we've ever done. And this is, well, we're going to be between 35 and 45 minutes as we move forward. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and have a great one. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Tony Holopainen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.